0: Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Luty is entitled, The Consecrated Home. This was a very special service at Ellerslie, one in which the families of our church consecrated their children born, unborn, adopted, in the process of adopting, and even a few foster children unto Jesus. This short message was the preface to the child consecration service. May our families truly be surrendered unto the King for His glory alone. Please contact us at www.ellersley.com. Now here's Pastor Eric Lutie.
1: Basically, I'm calling this the consecrated home. Most of us would understand either the consecrated life. In other words, that means a life wholly given to Jesus Christ to say, God, whatever you want to do with this life, you can do it. We could say the consecrated soul, the consecrated mind, the one that is only going to think God's thoughts. When Paul says, think on these things... Then he gives a list of things that are pure, things that are upright, things that are noble. That's a consecrated mind. It's a mind that does not wander anywhere that the flesh may lead it, anywhere the devil may want it to think. It is stayed. It is consecrated. It is wholly given to the one who rightfully possesses it and owns it. Well, this is a little twist on that. And it is a logical twist. And that is the consecrated home. When it comes to a dimension of our life, which is a very interesting thing for God to touch, whether you have a home or whether you don't have a home, is God able to take that home and do with it whatever he sees fit? Now, one of the things that God has pressed in our hearts, many of us in this room, is the concept of opening up our home to allow our home to be utilized for his purposes. And I don't just mean biological conception and having babies. I mean, there's an orphan who doesn't have a home. I remember Hudson's great quote in our family history is, uh, Daddy, did you know that if we adopted that orphan, he wouldn't be an orphan anymore? In other words, when an orphan finds a home, a forever family, it's no longer an orphan. It's an incredible way to dispel uh, orphanness. And so, as a result, we've seen an awakening in our body to that, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So the consecrated home, the home that is made wholly available unto God. Back in the Old Covenant, there was a requirement, and that is anything that opened the womb, whether it was the firstborn child or the firstborn beast of any animal that you possess, it is sanctified unto God. The words sanctify and consecrate are actually the same concept, same word even. They just get translated different. It means to set apart, to make God's. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn whatsoever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast. It is mine. is that strange to think that it belonged to God? Legally, in that covenant, the firstborn belonged to God. Well, this is a foreshadow of the for- firstborn who will come. The firstfruits among many brethren. It's Jesus. The firstborn is God's. And who are you in? What is your position as a Christian? You're in Christ, you're in the one that is fully given and consecrated unto God. So it's no longer just the firstborn of man and beast, it's everyone who's in the firstborn who is Jesus Christ. We are all wholly given unto Jesus Christ, which is why the concept of a tithe switches in the New Testament. No longer is it a tenth, it is 100% given. You may have 10 kids and the firstborn is the one that is consecrated, sanctified, But in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is consecrated, and all of us are in him. Therefore, all of us are 100% holy and completely given unto the living God. Kadash is actually the word. To consecrate, sanctify, prepare, dedicate, be hallowed, be holy, be sanctified, be separate. Basically, if I'm going to give you a statement to go along with this, it's this belongs to God. So you have a firstborn child, and you say, this belongs to God. And that's what it means to sanctify it. And whatever that means, and you have multiple stories in the Bible that testify of this. Abraham and Isaac, that which opened the womb. Isaac. And then you have God basically saying, will you kadash that? Will you set that before me? And Abraham declared with knife raised, this belongs to God. You have Hannah who in tumult of soul prays unto God and says, God, if you give me a child, I will kadash him. I will give him up to you. And when Samuel was born, she did. She laid him before God and actually gave him over to the work of the temple. And he was given over to the high priest Eli. That's actually, he was kadashed, if you will, if I could make my little Americanism attached to the word kadash consecration. You'll notice just the word in our vernacular, the actual etymology of it is con, which means with, and secretion, separation. With separation, that which is normally going to behave this way, we as Christians, we consecrate it. It does not function as the rest of the world would handle it. We take it from the morass of everydayness and we separate it out and we say this belongs to God. So, the devoting or setting apart of anything to the worship or service of God. The Christian life is what we would typically understand as as a consecrated life. Take my life and let it be. Take my life. This belongs to God. If you have never declared that in your own body, in your own life, then we need to start. That's what Christianity is it is basically turning over what rightfully belongs to God. He says, It is mine. How did he purchase it? With his blood. The cross is literally a legal transference of ownership. Jesus Christ has rightful claim upon your life and upon your body. It's his. The treasure and the pearl. And then we see Jesus sort of unpacking this concept of what consecration actually is. He doesn't use the word consecration, but he gives us the picture of everything turned over. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field the which when a man has found he hides and for joy thereof goes and sells all that he has and buys that field again the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it when you find the treasure when you find the pearl what is required to get it what is the transaction what is the exchange it's everything that is given you sell all. All means 100%. It's not that he saw the the treasure and tithed 10%. It's that he saw the treasure and gave all. And that is the principle of the gospel. It It is a request, if you will, for everything we possess in exchange for everything he possesses. You see, we're not left paupers. Who's getting the raw end of the deal, the short end of the stick on this one? You and your little pittance have been asked for everything to give to God. So he gets your pittance, and what do you get from him? Everything he is. Okay, so let's make sure if we're looking at this, because a lot of us say that is unjust that God would ask for everything. No, it's unjust that he would give you everything. That's the injustice if you want to look at it that way. However, he's not giving you everything. He's giving his son everything. Legally, the transaction is he is worthy To receive all glory, honor, and praise. Jesus is. But you are in him. And as a result, you participate in the inheritance. The grand bounty of heaven is poured out on you. And it's only reasonable. Your reasonable act of worship, of service, is to make your life a living sacrifice unto your God. Poured out like ointment. When the gospel is preached, technically there is a story that is supposed to be attached to it. And it's a story of what one woman did in the New Testament in breaking open her alabaster box of perfume upon the head and the feet of Jesus. And so, there's a story. Now, if you were to ask me, Eric, do you share that story every time you share the gospel? Well, I don't actually share the exact story, but I share the content of the story. Because the content of the story is our response unto Jesus. And that's what needs to be shared. Mark 14, and being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, which means to eat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. Another uh, part, another sharing of this story says that it was worth a year's wages. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves. By the way, there will be some that will have indignation within themselves when they see you supposedly wasting your life upon Jesus Christ as well. And said, this is what those that had indignation within themselves said. Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble you her? She has wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, you may do them good. But you have, not, you have me not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the barren. Listen to this. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also which she has done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. It's because it is the gospel. It's the gospel response You see the worthiness of Jesus Christ, his perfection, his beauty, his majesty, and you go into your pantry and you find your alabaster box, and you take it out and you break it. Today is a celebration of parents taking out their alabaster boxes and breaking them open on Jesus. Can you think of a more accurate portrayal of an alabaster box for any of us that have kids than our very children? To give our children to Jesus and mean it. Not just in a symbolic sense where it's just the right thing to do. And then we keep our children for ourselves and we worry and we fret about them. They belong to Jesus. He is responsible for them. We do our job as his emissary. But what if, they call, what if God calls them to China? It's dangerous in China when you're a Christian. That's God's business. We have kadesh We have given them over to the living God, for him to do with as he sees fit. So the Christian body, so not just the Christian life, but the Christian body needs to be set apart. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The Christian home follows the exact same principle. If an individual is given over to Jesus and consecrate his life, consecrates his life, then how about his marriage? Well, his marriage needs to be consecrated. For the glory of God, he's married. And then how about his own individual family? It only makes sense that that too would be consecrated and given over to the living God. Whatever God wants to do with this home, whatever God wants to do with my family, and that's, this can be looked at as young kids, and you can say, am I willing to... Allow God to have this family. Because a lot of us can be protective when we're young with our parents. We only have limited time with our kids. I'm sorry, with our parents. And so to have more family members come in is dangerous. It could actually distract from my ability to have individual time with my parents. This is a big commitment. And from the parents, it's the same exact reasoning we have. It's hard enough to give my best to each of my kids right now. To open up my home and make it more available. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. However, does your home belong to Jesus? That's the question. Training them to go. You belong to God. So when we're dealing with our kids, and I've had to walk through this in my own heart and mind many times over, I have children and I dearly love my children. Am I willing to train my children to go? Am I willing to train my children to leave and to go into all the world and preach the gospel? Not that actually is a very painful thing. Every semester here at Ellerslie, I go through this exact same process. And here we are. We have two weeks left, and guess what? Most of you students are going to be going. And I have to let that happen. And not manipulate your future, and not try and control it, and say, "Well, you know, why don't you all just sort of build a commune here in Windsor, and we can just sort of, uh, you know, keep this forever? Build, build houses on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's keep it here, because at the bottom of the hill is the demoniac. I don't want to keep going. Let's just bottle this." Well, when you have children, you understand this feeling. First of all, you want your kids to stay young. You don't—I mean, you want them to grow up, but... At the same time it's hard to see them grow up because you know what comes with that you know that that means they're going but you, you love having your kids around but if I'm going to truly be a godly father I am training my children to follow Jesus I release them unto Jesus he must possess them he must lead them not me I have them for a season that's to prepare them for him to lead them I am like a a miniature Holy Spirit in their life, training them, bringing about the conviction, bringing about the discipline and the correction of soul, so that they will recognize it in their Heavenly Father. They go, oh, that's how my Father was. Oh, and now I understand how the Heavenly Father works. Training them to go, you belong to God. A mother's pain. Just look at these scriptures. And Mary said, behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Well, there's hospitality, if you've ever seen it. Opening up her womb and saying, God, if you want to bring life to my womb, so be it. Well, that's part of it. The Christian home. That's part of where it starts. God, my womb belongs to you. And Simeon blessed them. So Jesus has now been born in this statement in Luke 2. And said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Who are you training your children to follow? Jesus. And what was the result of parenting that life? It was a sword even striking through her own soul. In other words, do we know what we're signing up for as Christian parents? You know how difficult it would have been for Mary to witness the sufferings of her son? And yet he was fulfilling all righteousness. What may it be like for us as parents to witness our children walking in his footsteps? Now there stood by the cross of Jesus... His mother. I don't know, if you don't have children, I'm not exactly sure how that strikes you. But to think of your child being crucified and witnessing his suffering and releasing him unto God or her unto God, that is a challenge at a soul level that is difficult to liken to anything else. Because there is such a love, a deep commitment. You want to see your children without pain. And yet, it is pain that shapes the life of a believer. It is suffering that trains in obedience. And so to release our children to be groomed by the Spirit of God instead of just by our sensibilities is of extreme importance in the body of Christ. A father's parting... Any of you that have ever heard me refer to this story, uh, I found it again this week. Before when I have referred to it, I was guessing as far as what happened, and it still was deeply moving to me, because I read it in a book called The Missionary Patriarch years ago. And I was trying to remember it uh, one day in class, and I I, I said it, and then it got recorded, and then it got turned into a little ditty. I'm going to read you the accurate version of it. It's a story of John G. Payton, an excerpt from John G. Payton, missionary patriarch, the true story of John G. Payton. Well, let me, let me put a little background into this. John G. Payton's dad, John G. Payton was a missionary to the Hebrides, and his life was a life of extreme difficulty and suffering. But what a triumphant life it was. His dad, I don't remember his dad's name, they grew up in Scotland. His dad had always felt called to the mission field. And always wanted to go, but he sort of recognized at a certain point in his life that he may never be able to go. And so his prayer, day in and day out, was that his children would go. And so he built his children to go into all the world. Now, back in these days, when you said goodbye to your children and sent them off on the mission field, you never saw them again. It was highly likely that they would go and they would die. That was just part and parcel of what took place. And so... When John G. Payton was being sent off by his father, what we have is a scene here. My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsel and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday, and tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then, whenever my memory steals away to the scene. His tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence and then solemnly said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could and went about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me. I looked back and saw him still standing with head uncovered where I had left him gazing after me. Waving my hat in adieu, I was round the corner and out of sight in an instant, but my heart was too full and sore to carry me further, so I darted into the side of the road and wept for a time. Rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he yet stood where I had left him, and just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me. He did not see me, and after he had gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face towards home, and began to return, his head still uncovered, and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze, and then hastening on my way, vowed deeply and oft by the help of God to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. The appearance of my father when we parted has often through, my life, through life risen vividly before my mind and does so now as it had been but an hour ago. In my earlier years, particularly when exposed to many temptations, his parting form rose before me as that of a guardian angel. It is no Pharisaism but deep gratitude which makes me here testify that the memory of that scene not only helped to keep me pure from the prevailing sins but also stimulated me in all my studies that I might not fall short of his hopes And in all my Christian duties that I may faithfully follow his shining example. Consecrating our families. I stand before you as a man who understands the difficulty of consecrating a family. I stand before you as a man with the same desires to keep my life simple. To keep my life sane. To keep my life manageable. And my home is available to Jesus Christ. What he wants to do in regards to my home and the development of my home, I publicly, before all of you, state he may do. And I know the consequence of that statement. I know that it could mean great difficulty and great trials that otherwise may not have attended my life. I recognize that bringing in more children may make my life more hazardous, may make more legal battles, may make more expenses... And yet, I make my life available to the living God to do with my life and my family as he sees fit. And I publicly testify before the body on that matter. God's royalty needs a home. God's royalty, the ones that he deems the most precious and valuable, orphans in our country, foster care, kids... These are the ones that in God's economy are precious and dear. These kids need a home. And the question is, are we willing to allow our home to be their home?
0: Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Lutie, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.